Hey, all you rad dads out there. Hey, what's up, everyone? Brett here bringing you another episode of The Rad Dads Show, the parenting podcast where we ask inspiring dads the question, what does it mean to be a rad dad? On this episode, we're bringing you a discussion with Grant Lawrence, who many will know as the singer of Canadian garage rock legends, The Smugglers. When the band went on hiatus in the early 2000s, Grant began a career as a music journalist with the CBC and eventually an author as well. As of right now, Grant has released three best-selling non-fiction books, including his memoir of his time in The Smugglers, Dirty Windshields, which is based on his personal diaries that his dad actually encouraged him to write. In addition, he's published a kid's book called Bailey the Bat and the Tangled Moose. And as of this episode airing, he'll be releasing his fourth book tomorrow, April 30th, 2022. It's the sequel to Adventures in Solitude called Return to Solitude, where he takes the reader back to Desolation Sound for more adventures with familiar and new characters alike in the context of his growing family. Following the release, he'll be embarking on a stories and song tour with friends like Jay Malinowski from Bedouin Soundclash. So we talk about all that exciting stuff, but of course we talk about lots of dad stuff too. Grant is a dad to two kids, Joshua and Gracie, and he tells us how nature plays an important role in his relationships and experiences with his kids. We also talk a lot about imagination and storytelling and how Grant fosters that at home. Grant also shares his experience as a dad who's married to a touring musician. Of course, I'm talking about the amazing Jill Barber, and he talks about how he had a difficult time adjusting to life at home with the kids while she was touring but at the same time, recognizing the benefits of understanding exactly what she was going through as he reflected on his past as a touring musician. And Grant shares with us the concept of family of origin and how he applies that to his parenting. This is such a fun chat that meanders in all the right ways, and I think you guys will really enjoy it just as much as I did. So what do you say? Should we get into it? Let's do it. Here's Grant Lawrence on the Rad Dads Show. Grant, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on the Rad Dad Show. I'm going to actually steal a line. This is what we do at the beginning of all our episodes, but I'm going to steal a line from your friend Nardwar, the human serviette, and say, who are you? (laughs) Well, Brett, thank you very, very much for having me on the Rad Dad Show. Uh, My name is Grant Lawrence. I'm a dad from Vancouver. I'm an old dad. Uh, So my kids, I'm 50, and my kids are uh eight and six so as my good friend chris murphy from sloan always Mm. says to me he always says here's what you're gonna be in a few years happy graduation (laughs) Uh, because i'm so old but uh yeah so uh besides being a dad i am a music journalist at the cbc and i have uh, been at the cbc for over 20 years doing various music programs these days, I host the CBC Music Top 20, which is this yeah. countdown show that airs a few times a week. And I'm also an author of a nonfiction memoir books. So I have a few of those out, as well as a kid's book that was inspired by stories that I told to my kids. And I was also, was sort of am the lead singer in a band called The Smugglers that, uh, me and my friends formed when we were teenagers and it lasted a long, 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 Mm -hmm. long time. And uh, we reformed a few years ago in celebration of my book, Dirty Windshields, which is all about the tour diaries of the smugglers. So that's who I am. 
Right. So I read an interview with you from a few years ago, I think when Dirty Windshields came out and you were talking about um, how your your dad yeah. uh, kind of had had, you know, when you were basically told him, I'm not going to university, I'm going to be a musician. Yeah. He, you know, kind of said like, you know, you're fucking up your life here. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. Um, he didn't say, I can tell you exactly what he said. He said, um, he said, if, if, like, first of all, he was totally against being in a band as, as you're suggesting, but he said, if you are going to flush your life, if you <laughs> insist on flushing your life down the black whole toilet that is the music industry then at least have the wherewithal to promise me that you will write the misery down that was his exact quote because i wrote it down what amazing advice though right like that i have to admit that's worked out well for you I, at the time when I was a teenager, I said, that's all I have to do is, you know, cause my parents would yeah. always make me write stuff. Like from an early age, they would make me write thank you letters to mm-hmm. aunts, uncles. My dad had a huge family, still has a large family and they aunts and uncles send birthday gifts, Christmas gifts. I would have to write thank you notes. So I was always writing from an early age, but begrudgingly, uh, I didn't want to write thank you notes, but I did it. Yeah. And I had to feel like, full page drove me crazy and uh i unbeknownst to my parents because i had to fill a full page i would write embarrassing stories about them in the thank you note they would just look at it see that i filled a full page fold it up and mail it off and then my aunts and uncles would read it and embarrassing stories about your parents oh yeah yeah just like what they look like naked and (laughs) you know like um what they sound like in the bathroom and uh, you know just stuff like that and um, and they, they got wind of it eventually. But uh, anyway, I, I think that was helped with the writing. But then when my dad challenged me with the band thing, uh, I said, oh, that's all I, all I have to do is keep a diary of this band. And then I get to be in it. You're not going to hassle me. So I did it. And I, I started keeping a diary from gig one of the smugglers, which was way back in 1988. And I kept up that diary writing and I have like 80% of them, maybe 75% of them are intact still. And I do have to give my dad, who's a very like right-wing, conservative, uh, miserly crank, basically. I do have to give him a lot of credit for throwing that challenge down because he did turn me into a, a relatively disciplined writer from from doing that challenge and I got to be in the band. Right. Cause it's kind of like a, I would say not a typical um, trajectory for a musician, you know, cause you're, I guess like the smugglers kind of wound down like the yep. first major wind down, like good early two thousands. Right. Good phrase for it. Yeah. We wound yeah. down like an old dog <laughs> yeah, in the, in the early two thousands and the hives have something to do with it. I know that Chris dangerous I uh, was a former guest on the Rad Dad show. Yeah. And Hives did have something fairly major to do with our wind down. Really? Yeah, yeah. I can tell that story if you want. Sure. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. Well, there was a couple things, and it involves uh, parenthood as well. So we the first time we ever met the Hives was um, we were on a European tour, 
and the smugglers were doing quite well in Europe. We had a we had a, a video on MTV Europe. We were drawing big crowds in Europe, uh, bigger than our headlining shows in in North America, and everything was going quite well. And we knew every once in a while we'd play with another band, and we knew we were playing with a band called The Hives, and I knew of them because our buddy at Gearhead Records mm-hmm. in San Francisco, Mike Lavella, had put out their first North American releases on his small label, Gearhead. So I knew about them. I didn't know them or anything. So we had this bizarre experience in a small town in Switzerland called Soloturn. And at the time, the smugglers' stage outfits were black shirts, black pants, white rubber boots and white ties and mm-hmm. white belts. Cause it was the electro clash era where uh, white belts were happening. And we yep. thought, Oh, we got to be hip with the kids. And so what we would do is we were in this van and we would take the outfits out. We would hang them backstage. And we got into the backstage of this solo turn venue. And we're like, what the hell? This is one efficient venue our outfits are already hanging (laughs) in the backstage. How is that possible? All we did was walk from the van to the backstage, big venue took a while to get backstage. And we were like, this, this does not compute. And then our roadie came in holding all of our soiled rags. And we looked at the ones on the walls and we were like, those are way cleaner than ours. Yeah. But it was white ties, black shirts, black pants they didn't have the white belts, but it was very, very similar. They had white shoes and we had white rubber boots. It was like uncanny. Yeah. And so that can go one of two ways. Like that could be where the bands go, like they butt heads and they go like, what the hell? You're stealing our look. Or yeah. we could have said it to them. They could have said it to us. <clears throat> we had been around longer. They were a younger band, but they were having a song just breaking in Europe yep. at that time, uh, breaking wide uh, called hate to say, I told you so yep. um, put it this way. When um, we first got the gig with the hives, the hives were opening for us. And just in the space of the months that it took from booking the gig to actually doing the hives had gotten that, that song had hit so much that they flipped it Yeah, because the, the hives became the headliner, like within months. Well, they just exploded. We at that time. Yeah. They exploded in Europe. And, uh, and then it, it just went like basically around the world, but they were, they were fine with it. And we were fine with it That's because cool. we were always into making friends on the road. They were super cool. They thought it was hilarious that we had the same clothes and we all wore our clothes that night. We looked like this giant, pack of dudes in black with white ties yeah we joined each other on stage they we had this big group photo at the end of the night and we became friends with them ever since and we played several more shows with them but it became very clear that they were getting really big really fast they were on a major trajectory they got big in london next and we were like, geez, they are the exact same Rolling Stones style yep. setup as the Smugglers. Two guitars, yeah. the lead singer, bass and drums. So many similarities. And, yeah. Yeah. And we had tried so hard. And, you know, like we loved where we were. We liked playing 
you know, clubs in Europe, we got to play places that held a thousand people, but our comfort zone was like a 300 person, like all ages show, whatever, um, where kids are just packed in there. And we love that, that rock and roll compression, I call it, where, you know, it's, it's not a huge place. It's a place that holds like two or 300 was, that was our jam. That was our comfort zone, but seeing them getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then they offered us their first headlining North American tour. They wanted us to open the tour and it was pretty good sized venues like venues, a thousand, 1500 to 2000 all over the U S and just by bad timing, Nick from the smugglers, uh, his daughter, it was a, it was a tour that was going to go through may and June. And, uh, just by timing, Nick was expecting his uh, next kid to be delivered in either May or June. Yeah. And he said, you know what, guys, you can go without me, but I don't think I can go on this one. And we're, we're going, Oh, what are we going to do? Cause the hives were just exploding. And then uh, we decided to honor Nick's family commitment. We didn't want to play with anybody else. Yeah. So we turned the hives down for that national tour and those venues got way bigger as the tour went on. And I've always regretted turning that tour down, but Alia, the kid who was born Mm -hmm. is now 20. So that's how long ago it was. And then, uh, but the, the real kicker was when a couple of years later, we did another U S tour. The smugglers were on our own tour. And we played a Sunday night and Sunday nights are always just, I, I just, I hated playing Sunday nights at the beginning. I hate playing Sunday nights. Now, no, people have more energy on a Monday night than than Sunday. Like at least Monday, they're starting to rev up again for the week. Sunday's the worst night for rock and roll. Anyway, we play a Sunday night in San Diego. It's a terrible show. I knew we shouldn't have done it. Uh, and and then, ironically, Nick is missing Alia's second birthday to play that gig in San Diego, and he's feeling really guilty about it. And it turns out to be a complete waste of time. We're driving back to L.A. that night to stay with our friend Ronnie from the Muffs, and we're listening to K-Rock. And it's like 2 in the morning, and Rodney Bingenheimer, the mm-hmm. legendary DJ, that's his time slot, which I thought was so insulting to Rodney how dare they put him on on Sunday at two in the morning but there he was and he played the hives main offender yeah and we're listening to it and we're like oh thank god he's playing the hives it sounds so awesome this is kind of waking us up a little as we drive back to LA and then he comes back on as the song ends and he goes uh that was the hives and the hives have just announced that they've signed a $50 million deal with universal records worldwide. And Dave almost drove off the road <laughs> and we had just been paid in San Diego, I think 50 bucks. Yeah. And we hear that these contemporaries of ours, these friends of ours, this band yeah. that was like a kind of a, a smuggler's blueprint, um, but uh, way sharper and just excellent songwriters there. They made it, they made it big and huge. And I swear that was when we were kind of like, okay, maybe we should do something else for a while. 
We yeah. are very happy for them, still happy for them, still friends with them. But I think like that was just like after that really rough Sandy. And that was the last gig that the smugglers played for 13 years. Wow. That was it. it. That was it. Hearing that. And, and, and that, that, that's a Sunday night in San Diego uh, killed us, but we weren't quite dead yet. And we got off the mat uh, 13 years later and started playing again. Have you, have you ever had a chance to tell that story to anybody in the highs? Uh, since then, I think I told Nick Arson that story, yeah, because him and his girlfriend, if I recall correctly, visited Vancouver and and we hung out for a while. It was either I don't know, I, I crossed paths with them somewhere and I shared that story with Nick, I believe, who we were closest with in the band. Yeah. He He always was the one that was communicating with us on email and, and everything else. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure I've told them that story. Yeah. That's a really interesting story. Kind of, I mean, a little bit sad, um, but yeah, also I mean, the neat- thing is the, the thing is, is that what, I mean, I think the smugglers were, had been together about 17 years by that point or something. Is, yeah. A lot. Kind of right? unprecedented for a lot of bands, right? Like that's a yeah, long time. And, and Dave Carswell, our, our guitarist who now plays full-time in Destroyer, he was kind of like, he he had been hinting that he was sort of done. And then after that that tour, he he was like, all right. That, that, that night in San Diego, he was like, I'm done. Whether it had anything, I don't know, Dave is kind of a, private guy whether it had anything to do with that hives announcement i don't know but that hives announcement did happen that night after that san diego gig well that yeah that's a great story um but you guys are i mean you guys are sort of back at it a little bit kind of yeah when i i actually i'm recording the audio book yeah right now um so i happen to have dirty windshields right here because i'm actually physically there's the bookmark for the audiobook, I'm physically reading a chapter a week and packaging it all up and everything and uh, putting those out as a kind of uh, audio book chapter by chapter thing. Yeah. With, with music and songs and stuff. But uh, yeah, we got the smugglers got back together when this was published and that was five years ago. So we got back together in 2017 and we did like six or seven select gigs uh we did like vancouver berkeley we played at gilman um we played in new york and saskatoon ottawa seattle stuff like that like about six of them yeah and it was a blast a total blast but um yeah it was that was the resurrection and then uh nothing since but it's neat to see, like, I mean, you guys have kind of maintained that excitement about the band. People like the Smugglers are classic Canadian rock and roll band. Like, it's amazing. I, yeah. Um, so it's, it's kind of neat to see that, you know, that that excitement is still there. And of course, the book really helps. And, um, you know, you've gotten critical acclaim with the book, right? So yeah, yeah, the, the book did well. It won a, what is this thing? a New York independent publishers book award and that was really cool because uh it won the award i didn't even know my book was in the running but my publisher had submitted it and it won and uh the award show 
was at the Coca Cabana in New York City. And I had a really, really, really tight schedule at the time, but my wife suggested I go and I'm like, okay, I'm going. So I went and, and I, it was amazing because, uh, you know, the smugglers in New York, we played New York many, many times, but we would play CBGB and we'd play ABC, no Rio and Coney Island high and all these punk rock venues. And to be able to go to New York city and go to times square and go to the Coca Cabana, one of the most famous music venues in the world that dates back to like prohibition era and to receive an award on that stage with a whole bunch of other authors. It was, it was quite a large award show, but that was totally, totally a surreal experience. And one I actually haven't thought about in a long time and got to eat dinner before the award show at this place called Sardi's, which is this classic uh, theater restaurant in uh, just off Broadway. And they had, it's the restaurant with all the caricatures on the wall. Okay. And just, it was just an amazing New York experience. I uh, got to meet up with some really great friends in New York from the punk scene and uh, got to eat, drink. And it was a very quick whirlwind trip, but yeah. So that was, um, that was an incredible reward really for, uh, for writing that book. And yeah, and, you never know what's going to happen when you put stuff out in the world. Well, all the way from your dad sort of giving you that advice to write that down to yeah. that moment. That's kind of a yeah. neat. Uh, yeah. yeah. Neat, and what was uh, even, what was even more of a interesting twist is um, those aunts and uncles that I would write the thank you notes to. Yeah. Well, two of them live in New York and they were my guests to oh, the award cool. show at the Coca Cabana and so they were in the audience when I got the the little metal thing, um, and and the you know you, the 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 gold sticker that you get yep. to put on the book, and uh, and I was able to say in the acceptance speech like yeah you know it all started writing goofy thank you notes to those people at the back there, cool. yeah so that was pretty cool full circle. That's really neat. So yeah, you've had this amazing trajectory, and you're career what has developed into your you know your career from playing with your friends in high school to you know what you're doing now as um you know broadcaster author um and dad so you're yeah. a dad you know this is the rad dad show so i have to ask you do you consider yourself a rad dad i um yeah i mean you know sometimes i feel for my kids because as i say i am 50 and you know, the Smugglers were a very, very high energy band. Like that's one of the things we prided ourselves on is that, you know, once the drummer clicked in, we would try to spend the set airborne. Yeah. We would try to like be in the air, jumping, kicking, leaping, just full on energy. And my kids have that kind of energy, <laughs> but I don't have that kind of energy anymore. <laughs> and so they out energize me. They tire me out. And I feel, I feel guilty because I'm like, oh, I wish I had more energy. I wish I wasn't so old. You know, I want to like run down the sidewalk with them full speed. And I, I want to, you know, do all this stuff that, that they want to do. And I, and I try to do it. I try to, you know, I still try to climb trees and I still try to, 
but I'm, I'm not like, I'm, I'm not like doing the, you know, the hundred meter dash with them or yeah. anything like that. Um, but I still try to keep life as interesting and engaging with them as possible. I try to involve nature as much as possible. I try to uh, impress the natural world upon them and the marvels of the national nat- natural world uh, to them. Uh, and I also am constantly exposing them to stories and books and movies like my uh, parents did with me. So in that way, I hope I am, uh, you know, I've, there's one thing that my family doesn't do. We don't do video games mm-hmm. at all. And my kid, cause I wasn't into them. I always think there's this family of origin, right? Like, like if, if a dad was into video games when he was a kid, Yep. chances are he would impart that like i yeah. was super into star wars so my kid knows everything about star wars because i was into it yeah same with indiana jones but video games were never my thing so and when i would go to a friend's house and they were playing video games and i wasn't into it i felt it was like completely so boring and ostracizing the the, the, the most boring thing in the world in my opinion is watching other people yeah. play video it absolutely sucks. So I, unfortunately, our, uh, the history is repeating itself because we don't allow video games in our house, but my son hears about video games constantly at school. Mm-hmm. They play video game tag. The, the, every kid on the street has a Nintendo Switch or whatever yeah. it's called, and we don't, we don't do it. So we're like the, you know, like the Hutterite family down, you know, the Amish family at the end of the block that like denies their, their kids, modern conveniences and play things. So that's, that's kind of like where I might not be so rad. Well, but I guess, so one of the things we really like to talk about on this show is what does it mean to be a rad dad? That's kind of part of why we do it is to really talk about like, what's a rad dad? How, how, how do you define it? And everybody defines it a little bit differently. So I guess like, you know, I, I guess if, some people might consider playing video games with your kids to be rad. Other yeah. people might think it's, it's not rad to play video games with your kids. Yeah. So. I mean, I think the definition would be like, for me, I try to provide as much encouragement as I can, as much support, as much love, as much touch. You know, I, I, that woman who sang that song way back in the seventies or eighties that four hugs a day, that's the minimum. Like I try to go like, like 40 hugs. Yeah. Embarrassing level. And um, sometimes they give back and sometimes they don't, but um, you know, like I kind of like to smother them a bit with love and I tell them that I love them all the time and verbally, and I want to hear it back. And uh, you know, for a while my son wasn't doing it and now he does. And it's really sweet to hear it. But uh, yeah, you know, like that's, I just try to engage their imagination mm-hmm. as much as I can. Now, with the video game thing, we found that they're, they've just figured out a replacement and it's just screen time. So yeah. the video game thing just gets replaced with like Disney Plus yeah. or yeah. Netflix. And, you know, my daughter is embarrassingly skilled on the iPad to just like get in. It's crazy. You know, and 
She's not watching Lilo and Stitch. She's watching like Tommy and Pamela. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> but she does sometimes get in there. Yeah. You know, into like the, I'm like, yeah, whoa, the- whoa, 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 whoa. What are you doing on that? Why are you watching HBO Max? And, uh, you know, like you got to watch it. You yeah. Gotta, you know, like, and we don't have the locks on there. Yeah. So sometimes she will hit like the little icon that isn't kids. She'll hit you know, Chewbacca, which is my icon on Disney Plus. Right. Uh, and if you've ever seen me on the beach, you'll know why. <laughs> but uh, but she'll sometimes go in there and there's a whole bunch of adult shows yeah. like Pamela and Tommy on Disney Plus. Yeah, it's crazy. So because um, your daughter, so you you have two kids. I think we were talking before maybe we started officially, but you have two yeah. kids. Yeah, I have a six-year-old daughter named Grace and an eight-year-old son named Josh. Right. So our daughters are this. Well, my oldest daughter and your daughter are the same age. um, And we have a totally exactly the same issue now. Like she's figured out how to get into YouTube and find the kinds of videos she likes, which is great, except for, you know, then that auto plays into some other thing that's like crazy. And Netflix too. I mean, at least Netflix, Netflix has this thing if you're binging, Netflix has a thing saying, do you still want to be watching yeah. Liz and the Lemmings <laughs> for like the fourth hour? It's kind of like the shame feature a little bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so do you have Disney plus? Yeah, we have Disney plus too. So, so same how, many, thing. how many times have you watched uh, Encanto? Oh my God. So we went to it in the theater wow. uh, when it came out. That was like right when things were kind of starting to open up. We yeah, went to I, we did the exact same thing. And it was great, actually, because we, so my youngest daughter hadn't ever been to a theater, and this was maybe oh. the second time for at least my oldest, but there was nobody else in the theater. Like, Encanto oh, cool. had just come out, and we were yeah. in an empty theater watching it. And people it, which were, was, like, a little kind of feeling it out. Yeah. But so I, it was, it was I, we amazing, did the same but... thing, and I slept through it. Really? Yeah, I did. Sorry. <laughs> but I'm I'm an exhausted dad. And so, like, it started off, and it was like, you know, we don't care about Bruno. i like... And my wife was like, oh, that's the most beautiful movie. What did you think? Oh, I loved it. How the main character was wearing glasses. And she, her gift was that she's just a great member of the family. And I'm yeah. like, what? Yeah, missed it. I missed that part. I'm sure you're caught up now. It's probably oh, I'm, playing I'm on caught repeat. up now on the, on the 45th viewing. Yeah, yep. I, I'm fully well-versed in the plot and, and the songs. And Yeah, do you wake and, up with those songs in your head now? Like just sometimes. The first I mean, thing. the funny thing is, is in my job with the CBC, with, with the CBC Music Top 20, it's the most mainstream thing I've ever done in my life. Like it's, it's music that would typically be way above my radar. Like my sweet spot is rock and roll music. And the most top 40 rock and roll that I'm into is from like the 1950s and 60s, like Chuck Berry and stuff like that, who was top 40 then. And Jerry Lee Lewis and Little Richard, they were all top 40 back in the day, uh, which is hard to kind of fathom. But these days on the CBC Music Top 20, sometimes we're playing Adele or we're playing Beyonce or or stuff like that. And it's a total education for me. And then like, I'll, I'll have to review the billboard hot 100. Sometimes I'll have to check and see how certain tracks are doing on that chart compared to our chart or whatever. And I noticed like, we don't talk about Bruno 
by the Encanto gang is number one yeah. on the Billboard Hot 100. It's like crazy. beating out all sorts of pop stars. And I was like, what? That kid's movie that I see? Oh, and here's another here's another reveal. Watching the Oscars the other night. Thank oh, God my yeah. kids weren't, weren't um, awake to see uh, stupid violence like what unfolded. But yeah. uh, But when it got to animated feature, I'm like, oh, my God. This is the only category in the entire Oscars where I have seen every film. Yeah. <laughs> because of the kids, because yeah. of like movie night. And, you know, it was like Meet the Mill. No, not Meet the Millers, but something like that. Yeah. The, uh, oh my God. The Millers the, or the Marshalls. Or, no, the Millers. Yeah. The, it's something about the Millers. That was a the, Or maybe it was the Marshalls. And then, and then it was Luca. Yeah. And then it was Encanto. And then it was, you know, like, oh, it was that Rhea and the Last yep. Dragon. Like, well, there were, I was like, oh, yeah, that one, that one was good. Oh, yeah, that, that one was pretty good. And I'm like, wait, these are kids' movies. And all the best picture ones, you're like, oh, haven't seen them. Yeah, it's like, oh. <laughs> I mean, I thought Wanda Sykes' joke was hilarious about Power of the Dog. She's like, yeah, I've, I've watched that movie three times and I'm halfway through. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's kind of slow. Yeah. Anyway. So, but, yeah, I mean, the, the Netflix and, and Disney Plus adventures, I mean, I think especially over the last couple of years, right? Like that's been a really hard thing to avoid as a parent, I think. Yeah, you're right. Like, especially when they were out of school, Yeah, you know, like when they were out of school in our province, I'm not sure what it was like in Alberta, but, but when they were out of school here, you know, we had to like basically create a home uh, routine because our kids really flourish with routine like if you keep a routine for them they actually do a lot better and their behavior improves because they know what to expect they know what's coming next they know what they know what happens on monday night and choosing and they know and so and quite frankly the behavior is a little bit wild on the weekend because that's like the one sort of it's not too planned out Mm -hmm. so um but we had to create a schedule during the early days of the pandemic and four o'clock was screen time. You know, it was like, okay, we made it through this bullshit homeschooling attempts and then, which was a total train wreck. Yep. And then we would get to four and it would just be like a, a, a relief for me and J- my for, wife, Jill. Yeah. Like we would basically have um, COVID happy hour, right? Like, yeah. and, lockdown happy hour and and the kids would go and do their thing and watch at four and we would just go like ah, ah, and we would just exhale and i you know i'd drink like three beers in an hour yeah you know that that first six months or so man that was a that was that was a strange time and and it was a strange time to be a parent and a tough time my kid missed out on his second half of grade one Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so that's just the way, that's just the way it is. And for young kids, like our daughters, it's really the only thing they've ever known. Yeah. Oh, is, for sure. Yeah. Is what's going on now. And, you know, thankfully it looks like we're into a, a better stretch. Yeah. I, I still haven't been in my daughter's school. So she's done kindergarten in grade one. Uh, well, she's halfway through grade, grade one now, but I haven't actually set foot in her school yeah. yet. 
so and that's weird. so sad. Like if yeah. you think of all the things that used to happen with parents and all that. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned off the top that I wrote a kid's book and, yeah. and it's about a little bat that can't sleep. So it's awake all day and gets up into all sorts of adventures and trouble. And that's the only reason I've been allowed to go into the school. I've been able to go in as a guest and read the book. That's cool. To the kids. And uh, so that's and Bailey that's the it. Bat. And, yeah, it's called Bailey the Bat. Bailey the Bat and the Tangled Moose. Yeah. And it's it's about this little bat that gets into, yeah, adventures during the day when all the rest of the bats are asleep. So how did that's this come out? Uh, come about to write a kid's book? Well, uh, you know, it, it was all based on essentially parenting. And so what our bedroom routine used to be, it's changed a little now as the kids have gotten a bit older, but our bedroom routine used to be, and it was long, like bedroom routine was, it was way too long. Uh, but it was like, get them into their pajamas, brush their teeth, yada, 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 get them into their beds, they share a bedroom, and then read them a story. Hopefully it crossed over in interest level on yeah. both their ages. And then I would t- tell them a story either from my childhood, like a true story, or I would just make up a story, you know, mm-hmm. make up a story. I just pick some character and uh, up at our cabin in Desolation Sound that I've written adult books about, there's a lot of bats that live in the eaves of the cabin and the kids love the bats. So I just made up a story about a bat and we saw a bat in the daytime once. And I think it was actually a little bit sick, um, but I just twisted, you know, I made the story about it was like this naughty little bat that was sneaking out against mama's orders yep. because the bat just was so fascinated about what happened during the day when the sun was shining and was just totally attracted to that world as opposed to the dark nighttime bat world. And I find that kids uh, really are fascinated by rule breaking yep. and by anyone that takes that chance and defies their parents and they really listen with rapt attention and so i actually ended up creating like this whole bailey the bat you know serial basically like goes on and on and the stakes get higher and higher and you know it's a single mom raising bailey and and uh the original name was billy and and it got switched to bailey so it's less um gender specific for yeah. the kids book but anyway uh you know like they just asked for one tonight they said can we have a bailey the bat story and but i haven't told them one in quite a long time but you know it'd be like they'd just you know there'd just be adventures every time and usually it'd be like some animal in trouble and bailey the bat helps the animal out somehow and and so I got an email from uh, one of my publishers who said, hey, have you ever considered doing a young adult novel? Because I wrote about Captain Vancouver in my first book. And they said, why don't you do like a graphic novel or young adult novel about history? And I'm like, what's the what's that age? What's that target age range? And they're like, oh, you know, like 12 to 16 or something like that. I'm like, I don't know what the hell is going on with kids 12 to 16. Yeah, that's not and, my wheelhouse. And they're like, well, wh-, I said, I know what's going on with kids that are, you know, three to 
like five. And so that's when it hatched and they allowed me to, to write this picture book, uh, which is what Bailey the Bat is. But then the sad thing is, is that it took so long. It takes so long to put out a book and kids grow up so fast that by the time Bailey the Bat actually came out, it no longer even appealed to my son who had moved on to oh, chapter books. Yeah. And it, it appeals to my daughter quite a bit, who's still into picture books. But my son now basically reads to himself in bed. Like, put it this way, we're on to, like, I wrote Bailey the Bat essentially for the kids and whatever other kids are interested. And by the time it came out, my son was, had moved on to J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah. You know, and was, a big no jump. Long, was no longer into like a 30 page book about a fluttery little bat. Well, so, so you just need, all you need to do is you need to build the the lore around Bailey the bat now and like the whole backstory in that J.R.R. Tolkien kind of. Exactly. You and know. that's, that's, that is what I've done. I've raised the stakes and they go on like epic North America wide trips where they're dealing with city rats and, you know, ki- urban coyotes and, and all that kind of stuff. I've built it up way, way, way more in elaborate storytelling. But the publisher is like, what the hell? What are you talking about? No, it's these, we want another, you know, picture book yeah. where it's 30 pages and the bat, you know, helps out, you know, some gophers or something. Yeah. What are you Bailey talking the bat about? goes to school. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? The bat goes to Chicago. Like, are you yeah. crazy? You know, and so... Uh, there's this whole elaborate storyline where um, Bailey has always just had a mom and the kids are always like, well, what, why doesn't Bailey have a dad? And so I did this big storyline. That's kind of like a, this is kind of like almost like a finding Nemo thing where the dad years ago had been captured by spelunkers in a cave and taken to a laboratory in Chicago uh-huh. to be studied and then was given to the Chicago Zoo. And Bailey and a couple of the other forest creatures way back in the woods mount a rescue campaign to go get the dad out of the Chicago Zoo. Wow. And so, and that took, you know, that took weeks and weeks and weeks of nightly chapters to unfold for the kids. But we eventually wrapped it up. That's so neat. Like, I think, you know, to, to bring it back to what we were talking about earlier and sort of Netflix and Disney plus, like I, I actually find, I struggle with this with my own kids. Like there is so much out there. Like you kind of talked about that being almost like using your imagination, but I, I actually think it like, it kind of skips your imagination. Like there's so much out there to, to just feed you like a, a new story that like my kids actually really struggle with kind of like playing by themselves, coming up with their yeah. own, you know? Yeah. And so we have done that a few times too. I, I've used it as a technique to get through bath time. Cause otherwise the kids are kind of fighting. I'll mm-hmm. have them like, you know, kind of like those exercises where like, okay, now you say a word and I'll say a word and then you say a word. We'll make a story yeah. like that. Um, and it's so helpful and it's so neat to see, them start to use that imagination because it's kind of easy to get in the oh totally of not if you're just fed the stories constantly through netflix or whatever you can just kind of zone out but i think you know one thing when it comes to parenting to remember and i i often my wife and i often remind us remind each other of this is that boredom 
is actually a good thing for kids. Uh, when they say I'm bored or whatever, and I hate that word, yeah. but when they say that, you know, your instinct is to give them something, get an activity going or do something or, a, you know, maybe put on a show or whatever, but to, 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 if you check yourself and go, Oh, that's a good thing that they're bored. Mm -hmm. Because if you leave them to their own devices, they will come up with something to yeah. do. Yeah. It's like five, five minutes. Like I'm the yeah. same way. Like if you can just make it through the five minutes of the, I'm bored and yeah, you know, then you, you will be amazed actually that they manage yeah, to figure out. And they'll come out. up with the, and they'll lose themselves in their imagination. And then like, you can't even get them to the dinner table or whatever, yeah. like, you know, so that's, that's the challenge that, that we find. And our eight year old is very much into the imagination world of, you know, emulating Star Wars and games mm -hmm. and basically a lot of violence like uh, J.R. Tolkien and Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. And he's big into the medieval and all that kind of stuff. Just just basically action and adventure. But he does it all in his own head and all over. We're lucky to have a yard here in Vancouver. And he's just running all over the place. And the amazing thing is and maybe you could relate to this but with my boy i know you have two girls but my boy does more with a stick like you put a stick in his hand yeah from just like drop from a tree he'll have more fun with that stick than he will like his expensive toys yeah it's a stick it's incredible I and so we have sticks all over the property that he's put here put there collected dropped whatever yeah, that's like a, a great light lightsaber, right? So yeah. we um just yesterday I was out with my kids and my youngest daughter Nora picked up a, a stick and it was actually pretty cool, impressive looking stick. And I actually threw it in the back of the car. I was like, Yeah, I'm bringing that home. Because yeah. that'll be a hit later when I pull it. Yeah, that there's out. a lot of sticks in our car. It's true. Yeah. Um, so what like I'm curious, what do your kids think about your um I guess your your past as a you know a rock and roll guy like did, yeah are they have they kind of picked that up yet i know oh know, yeah. yeah 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 they have they like the smugglers a lot because the smugglers are very high energy yeah and we're pretty you know we're not we're not exactly math rock like it's pretty simple you know That's three rock and four roll. chord rock and roll sing along jump up and down and so yeah they're they're into the smugglers a lot like way more than my wife is and I think they're into the smugglers more than my wife's music. My wife is a singer songwriter named yeah. Jill Barber, who does a lot of folk and jazz pop music and stuff like that. But it's a lot more of an even or slower tempo and uh, much more reasonable. And whereas we're just like this frantic mess and they love the frantic mess and they love, I mean, it's embarrassing. You know, I remember again, I'll, I'll mention Chris Murphy because, uh, He's a good friend of mine from Sloan. And uh, he has this story where um, he'd be great on this show, by the way. You know, uh, I've, but, I've reached out to him, but it's, it's some people, it's just hard to. Yeah, think, yeah. He's, yeah. He says no him, a lot to stuff. But um, he's got <laughs> this great story word. where uh, his kids like the music of Sloan. And when they were really little, they would dance around in the living room to Sloan with yeah. Chris and his wife. And people would walk by. <laughs> And they would hear Sloan 
cranked. Yeah. And they would look up and they would see because of the trajectory of the window. Just Chris dancing. They would see Chris and his wife <laughs> dancing to Sloan and they wouldn't see the little kids. So there would be no context. That's and so it's sort funny. of the same thing with me. Like, obviously, the smuggler's music is nowhere near as famous or hit ridden as Sloan's music. But there ha I have been busted uh, driving around with the smugglers cranked. And there's a lot I know a lot of people in East Van and there's lots of, you know, rock and rollers around here. And I've been busted a red light with smugglers on. They can't see the kids in their car seats. Yeah. And I'm there and it looks like I'm like just just soaking in the 90s. And my friend Glenn was like, that is pathetic. What is your problem? <laughs> so, but yeah, they're into it. I mean, I think cool. the weird thing is, is, um, you know, like there's like, for instance, in Josh's class, he's in grade three. There is just by coincidence, there is a, a parent couple parents of a kid in Josh's class who met at a smuggler show and are what? now married with, with these kids. And one of them is in Josh's class. And so other parents, whether they have read one of my books or they know Jill or whatever, they will tell their kids that, Oh, um, Josh's parents are quote unquote famous. Mm -hmm. And then the kids will come to school and they'll say, to Josh, your dad is famous. And Josh will come home and say, dad, are you famous? <laughs> and I always say, well, no, I'm like, not really. Like I'm on rel in a, in a relative way. No, you know, like Meryl Streep is famous. I I'm just, you know, I, I, I can walk anywhere and do anything. And the occasional person would say, Hey, I like your podcast or whatever but yeah you know and uh but he gets asked that quite a bit at school oh your your mom is famous right and this word i don't even know if josh knew what it meant but that's been a, a weird thing that um my wife and i always try to just kind of like diffuse right and and downplay but as they get older they you know, start to contextualize it a I little start bit to more. Figure it and, out, like yeah, know, my face is on some book covers, and, yeah, and um, you know, like I do CBC television once a week, and mm -hmm. they hear me, like they hear my radio show, so they know that I do a job or I do several jobs that that sort of put me out there, that's different from other parents' jobs, but they've just they've grown up with it. So they don't really, it's, they, they're not really phased by it. Like, you know, I, I do a, a national radio show and they're not really interested. Like occasionally we'll put the show on or whatever. I'll just to hear what it sounds like, or um, hear what a certain, whatever. I just, I just like, I'll say, I just want to hear how this went, put it on. And the kids are just, you know, they're talking through, they're not listening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they're just like, I'll, I'll sometimes I'll even say, Hey, you know, that is me on the radio, like looking for a little bit of acknowledgement. And they're yeah. like, yeah, yeah, whatever. yeah, whatever. Yeah. So there's, it's just like kids being kids and, and maybe like, I mean, none of them have, you know, like Josh, he's just getting the age 
maybe where he'll crack one of my adult books, but he's not really there. He's, he's reading like kid, kid chapter books and stuff right. like that. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I think my, my books for adults, my memoir books will be a little bit like eye opening mm-hmm. for the kids because the, uh, I wrote the first one or two when I didn't have kids and I was just kind of like no censor, right. Like, just tell all, let it rip. Yeah. And now I swear I write differently because I've got the kids and I, I swear to God, I'm censoring myself a little more just because they are in my heads. And I'm thinking like, Oh man, the kids are going to read this. Like I can't, I can't put that smut in. <laughs> yeah. I, you know? How do you guys, I'm curious, like, so Jill, so the last two years, not being very representative probably of, you know, what uh, musicians sort of life might look like, but um, getting back a little bit to normal. And there would have been some time before that too. Like, how do you guys kind of figure out that balance of, cause you, I mean, are, are you sort of at home more? Is that sort of the yes. dynamic? And yeah, and I mean, so- that's, that was the, I felt a really ironic twist in my life is because I was very lucky enough to be on the road from the time I was about 18 and the smugglers started touring around then maybe 17 we were touring like we would tour on spring break and summer in high school and uh so i've i've been i was on the road for a huge portion of my life about i'd say 15 years touring you know north america europe overseas japan australia stuff like that and i got to see basically like the title of the book is dirty windshields yeah. i got to see the world through a dirty windshield or a, a, a big portion of it. And it was amazing, amazing experience. It was hard and some of it was grueling, but it was fantastic uh, and, and very cultural uh, and, and awesome. And I married a musician mm-hmm. who I married her right in the thick of her career. And then, so when we started having children, I became the essentially the stay-at-home dad, and it was my wife who was grabbing the guitar and grabbing the suitcase and running out to the cab, yeah, and leaving, going to the airport to go to exotic places like Japan or Europe, or you know, recently she toured to the Middle East and played in Dubai, and I'm staying at home with the screaming shit splattered yeah. kids yeah and i'm like what <laughs> happened to my life and it was really a difficult transition for me yeah uh, that that i felt like man but i also say i had it really good for many many years and i still have it good I, the kids are beautiful and everything else but it was a hard transition for me to be left at mm-hmm. home and seeing my wife go out on the road, whether it was, you know, to the, to the Maritimes or to, you know, the shores of the Mediterranean sea, it was tough, tough, tough. Yeah. So were you, I I mean, you you must've been conscious about that as you know, you're expecting Josh, right. And, and um, thinking about, geez, what's this going to mean for my life? Um, Yeah. I didn't, I didn't quite, realize the extent of it i thought oh we're gonna be these cool parents 
And we're just going to like, you know, be those parents that just travel everywhere with their baby. Yeah. And we did do that. Like when Jill breastfed the kids and for the first while it was uh, that Josh, when he was breastfeeding, he went everywhere with Jill. So Josh has been in every Canadian province and he's been to Europe and he's been all over the States with Jill as a tiny baby. And she would, you know, basically, and the, and her mom was the stage nanny, essentially the backstage nanny. And I would stay at home or sometimes I would go uh, on those trips. But when the kids got to the point where they weren't breastfeeding anymore, Mm -hmm. they were stayed at home with me. And Jill was like, Oh, thank God. Yeah. And she was off to Quebec or whatever. Uh, without the kids and and that's fine i mean that that's my duty as a father and i support my wife and her career fully and 100% fully completely and uh but it's st- still hard for me as a as a career touring musician to not be jumping in the cab as well yeah but kind of like kind of interesting that you I mean, you have this good perspective on what she's going through out there too, right? Which I do. Not a lot I, of I, I totally get it. Have right, like I think a lot of couples where there's there's a musician and then there's yeah. someone who's a non-musician. It's uh, that's a tough dynamic too. People talk about that a lot on this show. Yeah, that that's a very good point. Um, you know, I, I will say that like I I've been a bit of a brat sometimes. Like when the kids were younger, and and you know, it's hard to to solo parent. Uh, it, it's not an easy thing. And I have a great, great, great respect for single parents because it's very difficult um, and challenging, especially when they're young and they're shitting all over the place or what have you barfing everywhere and screaming and they're going in two different directions. And I remember saying to Joe, like, you can't go away for more than a week, like seven yeah. days. And then she'd be like, okay, I won't go away for more than a week. And then it would be like, oh, we could, we have the opportunity to add Berlin to the German tour. I'm yeah. like, well, you got to add Berlin. Like, yeah. come on. It's one of the greatest cities in the world. Okay. So 10 days. Like, yeah. Okay. 10 days. <laughs> and then, you know, it would be like, oh, Paris is popping up. Like we, we could, we could tag Paris on. I'm like, well, you know, you that's a no brainer. You got to play like you're already <laughs> in Europe. You got to play Paris. And all of a sudden it's two weeks. And then it's like, oh, uh, and you know, like that probably I was sort of at the end of my rope at one point where she was on a, you know, they call them campaigns. You, you record the record. Yeah. There's a little bit of a downtime. Then the record comes out and then you basically go on in the before times, you would go on like a year long campaign of mm-hmm. touring the record and come home a little bit between here and there. And there was a couple of times where I got like super burnt out yeah. and I was just like basically exhausted. And I'm sure there's parents or uh, in particular mothers who are going like cry me a river. Yeah. Too. Rolling their eyes right now. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> but, but I, there was a couple of times where I gave it's Jill true. Life. Yeah, it is true. Me and Jill, we fought over it. Yeah. And I got really emotional a couple of times. Like I can't take it anymore. And, uh, but we got through it and, and we're pretty good about it. And, and, you know, I also do book tours. Right. And um, they're not as extensive as like a music tour. I I tend to keep them around 
BC and stuff like that. But, you know, I'll get away for a few nights here and there too. So life is a lot more um, even, but I say that with the caveat that it's been a pandemic. So Jill has been home. Yes. So it could start all up again, but I think, you know, it's easier when it's eight and and six, as opposed to like three and one. Yeah. You know what I mean? For, For sure. Yeah. I like totally identify with that. I, with my second daughter, Nora, my wife was like ready to go back to work at nine months. She had taken a year off with our first and she was ready to go back at nine months. And I was like, okay, I'll take, I'll take, like, I think she was just like, yeah, I've been through this before. I'm sort of done now. Like I'm ready to go back to work. So um, I was like, you know what? Like I'll, I'll do the last three months Mm. of the one year mat leave, parental leave. And um, it was like, one of the best experiences of my life, first of all, um, yeah. I'm glad I did it, even if it was just for three months. Um, but like, so eye opening, it was probably the, like the most difficult time of my life as well, because there, there are those times where you're just like, you feel like you're alone oh. and you don't know what to do. And you're just at your wits end. And you feel like, how did I get through 10 hours today and not like finish the laundry or do whatever I had to do? Like the house is a mess. It's yeah. hard. Like, I think it's hard. People, people, I think a lot of people don't realize yeah, it's hard we, for parents. We have two each. And then so, like, I do not know how parents handle yeah. like three, four, five mm-hmm. kids, six kids. And I know families with six kids and they're amazing families. Yeah. Like it does all work and, and the kids are incredible and the parents are amazing. I think of one family in particular, Uh, the Greg's up in Penticton, good family friends, they have six kids and they're all basically adults now, but um, it was amazing visiting them and being basically like, they were like a rolling party. Yeah. And, uh, and it all worked with them, but I don't know how those parents did it. I don't know how they did it. I think it's just, they're like for human. There's no blueprint, right? Like everybody's a little different. Every family's a little different. You just kind of have to figure out what works for you. But yeah, it's so interesting to hear your, your experience there and you know, how, how that coin sort of flipped. Yeah. I mean, you, I, yeah. I always say like with, when it comes to like parenting, you know, advice, like for people with younger kids, like for one thing, every, everything's just a phase and a stage and everything like right now, my daughter won't eat dinner at the table and is driving my wife absolutely crazy. And I know that in a few months, whatever, we're going to be saying, remember when grace wouldn't even eat at the table and my wife will say really not no because like i think biologically we're trained to just like move forward but the the phases are just phases and the other thing that i always tell younger parents is don't sweat it too much they will figure it out they will figure out how to use the toilet yes Potty training is like one of the worst things I've yeah. ever been through like torture, in my yeah. life twice <laughs> for the kids they too. <laughs> will fi- they will figure it out. Yeah. They will figure out how to ride a bike. They yeah. will figure out how to use a fork. Don't in, in the moment you're thinking like, what is wrong with them? Like they're, 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 yeah. they're, they're developmentally challenged, whatever the case may be. And, you know, obviously that does exist in certain situations, mm-hmm. but for the most part, these kids 
will come along at their own speed and their own pace and they will figure it out. Like they will eventually read and all magical things. And sometimes as parents, when we're in the moment and we're in the thick of that, we're freaking out because it's like, why isn't my kid doing what the kid across the street is doing or whatever down the hall. And it was a parent who has had four kids told me, don't worry about it. They figure it out. And it was very, very good advice. It is good advice. It's you're right. It's so hard in the moment to take that, take your own advice. Um, Like day to day, you have to kind of tell yourself that, but it, it is so true. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I never thought, the potty training was going to end. I never thought that the accidents were going to end. And you're taking yourself like 10 years down the road. You're just like, well, what if they're 12 years old and they're still having accidents? You know, you just like, it's not even rational thought. I think, I think parents ask themselves stuff like that every single day. Yeah. Like what if my kid can't read at age 20? Yeah. You know, like, yeah, it's just, it's, I mean, it, a lot of it, works itself out yeah yeah totally um i, I kind of want to i explore you were talking about your dad earlier we were talking about your dad earlier a little bit yeah and, and you mentioned when we were talking about um well i guess we were talking about video games but a few other things you know writing you kind of mentioned well th- that was really important in your family um and that sort of naturally has become important for you and your kids so do you like do you think is that something you're conscious of is that something you put into action or is that something that just like happened do you think what, what, what do you like i guess mean, like in terms of the way you were raised and the things that were yeah. important in your family as you were growing up and and how some of those have trickled down into the way you raise your kids mm-hmm. do, do you think well, about I, like do you think about basically that what i try to do is i try to bring the best experiences from mm-hmm. my childhood into their lives and leave the worst experiences parked, you know, in, in somewhere else. And not all the time does that occur, but you know, a long time ago, a guy taught me this phrase family of origin. And it means that you mentioned that earlier. Yeah. It's just, it's a really great phrase and it actually helps out in marriages a lot because when two people come together and get married, or whatever, any sort of couple long-term relationship, inevitably there's going to be conflict by the way you do things and the way your partner does things. And chances are the way your partner does things is the way they were raised. And the way you do things is the way you were raised. And you can't figure out what the hell is wrong with your partner for doing it that way, because this is the way you grew up doing it. But if you remember the phrase family of origin, it creates a little bit of understanding and empathy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's the way they celebrated the holidays. They opened their gifts on Christmas Eve or on the first night of Hanukkah. It's a free-for-all. You know, the hell, we don't do that. And then you, you reach a kind of a compromise with your partner if you can think of those things. Uh, and realize that that's what's going on. And you can avoid a lot of conflict by thinking about and understanding 
taking a moment and thinking about what might their family of origin yeah. be for the reason that they might do that, think that, whatever. And uh, it's, it's also very, very helpful. And so I try to bring in the best. So my dad, big time storyteller, excellent, funny dinner time storyteller. Uh, and I try to do that with my kids, reading to them that my dad did that for years with me. I try to bring that to them. And then my dad uh, exposed me to the wilderness. And I was, uh, <laughs> I was a total nerd, which I'm sure is, comes to a shock to you as you look at me. But I was a complete <laughs> nerd, afraid of my own shadow, afraid of being in the wilderness. And now I'm in the wilderness all the time. And luckily, my kids weren't, aren't like me. They're much more comfortable being in the outdoors and being in the forest. And, and I mean, I was afraid to walk down a path because my imagination would run wild. And I thought I was just going to be mauled by a cougar yeah. or a grizzly around every corner. My kids don't have that kind of fear. In fact, I wish they had a little more fear. They like to do what is called forest running. Okay. And where we go in Desolation Sound, it is the wilderness. Like they're you go back behind the cabin, you're in the forest, and it's forest all the way to Alaska. Like there's nothing breaking it. And maybe Prince Rupert. And uh, the kids have no fear. And so they're running down the trails. And I still have that fear and awareness, knowing that the predators, like say a cougar, they might not even want to have anything to do with a little kid. But their instinct, they have a chase instinct, just like when you pull a string away from a cat and the cat yeah. pounces its paw on it. Well, the cougar is the same thing. And if you run, the cougar, no matter what the animal is, if they see something running, they'll pounce because it could be. So, and I, I'm constantly saying to the kids, like, kids, don't run out of my sight. Don't do that. And, you know, it's hard for them because they just want to run and yeah. play in the forest and and uh, it's hard to control them. But that fear that I had, they don't have, which is both um, amazing and also freaks me out. So that's what I try to do is just bring the best into, you know, like my parents fought a lot. And Jill and I do disagree, but we really do not fight that much. We're really lucky about that. Uh, and and I hated seeing my parents fight. Mm -hmm. I hated it. I would say, I would just flat out ask them, are you getting a divorce? And they would, that would like, I would do a shock tactic. And that yeah, would like a record scratch happen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that would shock them out of fighting. And I would, I was like, okay, that worked good. Yeah. Not fighting anymore. But you know, stuff like that. And, and I just try to, you know, no parent is perfect. I'm very far from perfect. Uh, as a parent, but we all, I believe that a lot of us were just trying our best to raise good humans. Mm -hmm. You know, there was, I've, I've mentioned this a couple of times uh, before. So if anyone's listened to other interviews, they'll have heard me say this before, but I talked to, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the band, The Living End. Um, yeah. So are they Australian? To, yes. Yeah. So yeah. I talked to their bass player, Scott Owen, uh, last year and he made this comment that just really stuck with me. And it was um, like, it's not, it's not what you say 
to your kids that they're going to remember. It's they're only going to remember how they felt. Right. And that really stuck with me. Like, I think sort of what you're talking about, like, I'm sure you didn't, don't remember the, you know, what your parents were fighting about, what they were saying, but you remember how scared you felt or, you know, yeah. how, you know, or, how nervous yeah, or anxious or whatever. Yeah. worried and anxious. Yeah. And, yeah. and so you, you want to, like, you, you don't want your kids to feel that you, you can't even, you know, it just breaks your heart thinking that you made your kids feel like that. Right. Those times when you do lose your temper, you do, you know, whatever, and your kids are upset like that, that is what I guess. Sort yeah. Of I mean, the, the interesting thing about that, I, I agree with that. And I think that's amazing stuff. Um, the, and I do want their memories to be happy. But some, my wife, if I ever do lose my temper, I always deeply regret it, you know, yelling at them, yes. or whatever, sending them to their room for obnoxious behavior or whatever. And uh, I'm like, oh, you know, and I'll say to my wife, I don't want them to be afraid of me. Like, yeah. I don't, I want them to love me. I, I want, I want my kids to feel safe and secure all the time in our home. This is the safe place. Mm-hmm. And I don't want them to feel anything but that. But then my wife will say, eh, a little bit of scared straight isn't, isn't that bad. You know, yeah. I get, getting them a little bit scared of, of misbehaving is, is not the worst thing yeah. in the world. You know, like some, I mean, like, you know, I relate a lot. <laughs> I probably relate um, too much parenting to the animal kingdom. And if you see like two lion cubs, uh, playing around in the dirt or whatever. And if they get too close to mama with those claws, the mama will turn around and won't swat them, but will give them a roar, like yeah. right in their face, like, roar, like, like a back off, cut that out. Don't do that. And that lioness roaring is the same as us going, yeah. like, Hey, smarten up, stop that. You know, that's using our, you know, whatever, scarier voice or, or stern tone of voice. And it's this, you see it with bears, you see it with birds. It's the tone of, of the squawk or the growl or the bark. It's, it's basically a smarten up and get in line and move it. Now in the animal kingdom, it's like do it or die. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> you know, like don't fall too far, too far behind ducklings. Right. But, uh, anyways, I, I see a lot of that with in nature and I, I basically relate to it in a weird way. Yeah. So I like, I, like nature has kind of made its way into this conversation a few times. You've got a new book coming out and yeah. there's a bit of a tie in there and a tie into your, your, um, previous related books. So maybe tell me a little bit about your new book that's coming out end of April. Yeah. So that book is called return to solitude. So it's the 10 year follow-up to my first book adventures in solitude and adventures in solitude. First book I've ever written. And of all the art that I put out in the world, like eight, whatever smugglers albums, podcasts, this, that, the other thing, that first book of mine is the most successful thing most successful art I've ever put out in the world. I don't really know why. I think people can relate to the experience. That's what I get back from people. Complete fluke. 
that it was successful. I didn't know it was going to be. I was told by dozens of publishers that it wouldn't be successful, that it would Mm. be a complete flop and that it was too regional and about a place nobody cared about. But what I realized what people after the fact, I realized what people were relating to was parents dragging unwilling kids Mm -hmm. to some place to spend time, cabin, cottage, camp, tent, whatever. And the kids hating it or loving it or whatever. But like you were saying about the feeling years later, remembering it yes, and remembering it in a good way, bad way, whatever, but a very vivid way, right? I saw, I just by pure luck hit on this uh, common theme uh, that people could relate to. And so that did well. And that book is pretty much about me as a little kid experiencing Desolation Sound where our cabin is. And then me not wanting anything to do with the place when I was a teenager going off in the smugglers and then thinking, going, finally going back, going, oh my God, what an idiot I was. This place is the most beautiful area in the world. And now the second book, Return to Solitude, is essentially about like now I'm the dad mm-hmm. and I've got the little kids and I'm repeating history by dragging them to the cabin and I'm waiting for their rebellion to occur because they're still pretty much into it. Like just this year is the first year where my son at age eight is going like, I don't want to go. I want to stay with my friends. I'm like, here we go. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, it's, it just is basically about, you know, my life now, had to wait 10 years for the stories to build up. And, you know, I grew up with a hermit living next door in the woods. That was a huge influence on me. I, I keep going with his story. A lot of characters up there, you know, it's kind of like the beachcombers meets yeah. the shining up there. You know, it's, it's a lot of weirdness and characters like with names like Bernard, the German and handy candy and caretaker Ken nobody really knows anyone's last names, just these, these coastal nicknames. And a lot of these people are really fascinating. uh, And they're all true. These people are all real and the stuff that they get into and some of the ways that a few of them have perished is kind of almost so bizarre. You can't even make it up. So that's what the new book is about is, is picking it up. Uh, return to solitude picking it up when i'm the dad with the kids and with all these characters 10 years down the road and how they either met their demise or what they're doing now and and all that kind of thing well it's neat yeah i I really like sort of the parenting connection here it's kind of uh timely and interesting sort of for the purposes of our our show and i'm really excited um sort of for the release of the book. I'm excited for yeah. you. I'm excited to check it out. Um, you are planning a little bit of touring um, yeah. along with the release of the book too. So what's the plan there? Well, I, I go around, you know, it's a, it's a kind of a, it's a very West coast BC book. And in the past I have done national book tours, but I I've realized that the real sweet spot for the, these books that are set in desolation sound really is the coastal communities yeah. of BC so I am doing a, a book tour that is hitting up places like Campbell River, 
Powell River, Gibson's home of the beachcombers, mm-hmm. you know, my hometown of West Vancouver, uh, places like Victoria, Sydney, uh, and, and, you know, a, a few kind of, uh, you know, Harrison Hot Springs, Kamloops, you know, kind of smaller towns and that kind of thing, little theaters in these towns. And so it is, I'm, I'm on the road again, you know, I'm, I'm doing the touring thing, but it's, it's a lot different and more sometimes even, I mean, it's not a smuggler's show at all. It's me telling stories, but I do bring musicians along because music has always been such a common thread in my life. So I I bring friends from bands and they'll play a couple songs between my stories. So Jay Malinowski, oh, and they've all, this is another thing that ties in with the show. Uh, Since we were last doing the tours, uh, these, these book tours, the, the name is really basic. It's basically Grant Lawrence and Friends, An Evening of Stories and Songs. Yeah. I just wanted a title that just basically said Spells it what up. it was. Even though people still say, well, what is it? I'm like, it's just that. It's kind of like a West Coast ripoff of the Vinyl Cafe for CBC fans. But, um, yep. but I bring along musician friends. And the three mainstays that... I've played a lot of these shows with me. Jay Malinowski from Beto and Sound Clash, yep. Catherine Calder from The New Pornographers, and Ashley Ball from Hey Ocean, three pretty good indie rock bands. All three of them became parents during the pandemic. So now all three of us, all four of us are parents. And before I was the only parent, and they were footloose and fancy free. Yep. And now they're scheduling the dates around, you know, they're bringing, I'm sure the kids are going to come yep. on the new dates. I'm going to see some of these bouncy babies. So that's what it's all about. You know, that's, uh, that's what I'm doing in May and June of this year. And uh, it's hopefully going to be a lot of fun and hopefully things will remain open and happening yeah. and healthy and all that kind of stuff. And aside from the books, um, like any other, anything else that's sort of going on that you want to talk about or, you know, new projects? I know. So you're doing the audiobook. Yeah, uh, I do. Version. Every week I do. It's, you know, podcast, audiobook chapter. Yeah. They're free of the Dirty Windshields uh, audiobook. There's a lot of music mixed into it. So it's kind of like a basically a trip, ba- audio trip back to whatever. You know, right now I'm in the middle of like when the smugglers got signed to Lookout, which was our most successful period in the mid 1990s. And it's really cool because I get to revisit a lot of the music from there. And, you know, I get to play the Groovy Ghoulies and the Mr. T experience and the Queers and stuff like that. And uh, it's really, really fun. And that has found a really great audience in the punk rock community worldwide i hear from people all over the place because of this i hear from people in like portugal and moncton and santa cruz and australia so that's been a really really fun thing and but i mean it takes forever and i do a chapter a week and i'm like why is this book so long (laughs) like there's like there's like 45 chapters and i'm like god and reading it aloud i'm like this is so fucking long. And, um, uh, you know, people are like, I don't think you're supposed to say that about your own book. 
but <laughs> it's, it's true. It's, it's reading it aloud is a lot different than, than just reading it right? Uh, or writing it for that matter. But so that's been really fun and it's been going on for like a year or something like that. And then actually another smugglers thing that's happening is um, in the fall, there's a label from El Cerrito, California called Lava Sox Records uh, run by a really great guy named Alex, who was the guy who got us to play Gilman, uh, the 30th anniversary of uh, the famous punk yeah. venue in the East Bay called 924 Gilman Street. And he runs a label and he's re-releasing our album, the Smugglers album called In the Hall of Fame, which was the album that was right before our Lookout Records. Yeah. It, was, it did quite well in Canada and but it was only ever on CD and this guy is releasing it on double gatefold gold vinyl for its 30th anniversary and uh, it's been remastered by Master Genie who is one of the great lookout producers and uh, there's new you know new liner notes and new pictures and new everything so we're we're pretty amazed that that is even happening so those are and and then you know hopefully the smugglers will play around then because i want our kids to see us yeah none of the smugglers the smugglers right now have uh we've had nine kids and one heart attack between us and yeah the and the guy who had the heart attack survived and had a kid uh that's b's our basis but Good. Of the nine kids that the five smugglers have had, not one of those kids has seen the smugglers live. Oh, that's crazy. So I would love for those nine kids to see us play. So hopefully when that double uh, gatefold record in the Hall of Fame comes out, we'll do a gig for that and the kids will get to see us. So it'll be an all ages show. So that sounds like a party. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Grant, thank you so much. This has been super fun to chat. Yeah, um, thank you, Brett. I mean, I saw your podcast. Somebody told me about it and I thought, oh, that sounds like someone said to me, you got to be on this show. You wow. got to like connect with this show because, you, you know, it's like up your alley and it's like, it's what you talk about and it's what you do and all this kind of stuff. And uh, I guess we got in touch on Instagram or something like that. But so thank you very much for having me. It was really neat to talk about all these subjects and expand on them a bit. And, uh, you know, I mean, parenting changes as we talked about every single day. Yeah. And the key, I think, is to be able, just like you're doing with this show, is to be able to fit in our own interests and passions while still being rad dads yeah i love that comment so i was going to ask you if you had kind of advice for for dads out there but that's a great way to end it i think like and and that's something we definitely feel passionate about here too is um, yeah yeah just and that's the word right like just embrace your passions yeah as long as they're you know relatively legal and safe (laughs) for your kids but you know like i still play hockey yeah yeah, we didn't even talk about hockey. Yeah. I mean, we didn't even talk about hockey. It's amazing. But um, we'll get you back for part two. 
Yeah, but you know, I still play. I still watch. Um, you know, my son Josh plays hockey. So again, like, and he wants to be in a band too. So all this kind of stuff rubs off. Yep. And as as I uh, always as I always say, as long as it's positive and mostly legal, you know, go for it. And uh, so that I think that's the best we can do. Yeah. So that's great advice. The, I love it. Keep the passion alive yes. in our lives and theirs. Yeah. And your kids love it. They love to see your passion too, right? Just like Absolutely. you said, it rubs off on them. So awesome. Grant, thank you so much. I really okay, appreciate your thanks time. Thanks a lot, All right. That was Grant Lawrence on the Rad Dad Show. Make sure to go pick up his book, Return to Solitude, tomorrow, Saturday, April 30th. Thank you so much, Grant, for joining us. And thank you for listening. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us. If you'd drop us a review on iTunes or Spotify. And if you're looking for more Rad Dads content, find us wherever you get your podcasts or give us a follow on social media. On Instagram, you can find us at at rad underscore dads underscore show and on Facebook and Twitter at at rad dad show. And hey, you can also head over to YouTube to watch all these interviews as well. Wherever you're watching or listening, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. It really helps us a lot. Lastly, Rad Dads is first and foremost a community organization aimed at positive parenting. You can check out what we do over at raddadsyeg.com. That's raddadsyeg.com. Thanks for tuning in. In the meantime and in between time, stay rad.